Good morning. Welcome to this time of worship. I'm so glad you could be a part of of the time that God set apart today. I am thankful for the time we've had partaking of communion. Uh, so grateful for the song that Greg shared. This is an incredible time to worship and to focus intently upon Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. You know, that is the foundational truth. That's the central truth to every aspect of faith. What Christ has accomplished on the cross and through the empty grave. And, and he calls each of us to, to place our faith and our trust in him. In fact, I'd like to go back to the very first time that someone received the call to follow Jesus. Matthew chapter 4 verse 19 gives that record. Jesus said to, to some unsuspecting fishermen, follow me. What did Jesus indicate with this seemingly very simple invitation? You know, in past decades, uh, we participated in the childhood game, Follow the Leader, where the ultimate objective was to uh, mimic and copy the direction of the one in front. Now, in this present generation, uh, the idea of following uh, represents a, a constant response to someone's social media post. So, in this vast expanse from early generations to now, uh, the idea of following has changed so that the identity of the follower is always shaped by the nuances of the present culture concerning what it means to follow. You may have your own idea of, of what following looks like, particularly as one strives to follow Jesus. But the real question is not what do we think of the idea of following. The real question is what did Jesus intend, especially in those first moments of calling his disciples when he gave the invitation, follow me. I'd like to welcome you into this new teaching series simply titled Follow. As we discover the true essence, the true meaning of following Jesus. And we desperately need to understand what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. And there's a reason, even in this present moment, this becomes a desperate need. Uh, Gallup poll in 2018 uh, recorded that, that most Americans have some belief in God. But when you narrow that and spiritual assessment down to, to how we as Americans view Jesus, well, the message is a bit different. In fact, David Kinneman of Barna Research made the statement that concerning our commitment to Jesus in this country, our commitment may be a mile wide, but only an inch deep. You see, there's over 150 million Americans who say they have committed their lives to Jesus. But when you begin asking those substratum questions about how someone feels about Jesus and how they're actually living for him, well, the, the narrative looks completely different. And, and there is indeed a, a following problem in our nation. There may not be an acknowledgement problem as many acknowledge who Jesus is, but oh, yes, all that we find in, 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 in research concerning how individuals respond to the idea of commitment, there is indeed a, a following problem. In fact, beloved pastor and author uh, David Platt wrote this about our problem of understanding what it means to follow Jesus in this nation. Platt writes this, we've reduced following Jesus to only an idea of following Jesus. What he meant by that is this, uh, rather than joyfully embracing uh, the call that Jesus has on our lives, we have the self-tendency to water down the idea of following to a theoretical sacrifice and a hypothetical abandonment. Uh, we desire to follow Jesus, but but not a Jesus of the scripture. Uh, we we uh, have recreated, we've twisted and changed Jesus 
into our own preferences. And we give into this dangerous temptation to uh, desire Jesus who is okay with our nominal commitment, a Jesus who doesn't mind our materialism, and a Jesus who is pleased with a brand of faith that requires a Sunday morning attendance, but no activity any other day of the week. And if Platt is, is close to being correct, I believe he is. And if these numbers of, of research are, are close to being correct, and I believe they're, they're spot on, then we indeed in this nation have, have a problem with understanding the true meaning and message of that invitation Jesus gave many years ago, follow me. So how can we understand what Jesus indicated when he invited those first uh, recipients of this message. And when he invites us to follow him, uh, what does Jesus have in mind? Let's, let's find out. I'd like to focus with you for just a moment on Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 and the surrounding passages to understand two aspects of the teaching that's before us today. Yes, following Jesus is all about a life decision. Following Jesus is not about negotiating our commitment to him based upon our circumstances or our preferences. Following Jesus is a, is a life decision. To better embrace this, I'd like to share two very simple teaching points with you that are, that are promoted by Matthew 4.19. In Matthew 4.19, we read Jesus saying, follow me and I will make you fish for people. The, the classic statement is, I will make you fishers of men. Well, this passage represents Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, Peter, and Andrew. He then saw two, two others who were also brothers, and he said to James and John the same message, follow me. So as we look inside this context, uh, the first teaching point we need to embrace is simply the story. Uh, the second teaching point is our place in the story. So let's begin with the first, uh, the story. And, and like any good story, we need to focus on the time, the location, and the relationships that comprise the story. So let's begin with the time, uh, the chronology, or, or how the narrative was moving based on a specific time in history. You know, in Matthew chapter 3, uh, the baptism of Jesus is recorded. And then in Matthew chapter 4, uh, those 40 days and 40 nights of, of Jesus' uh, time of fasting in the wilderness, the, the temptation of Jesus is recorded. And then in Matthew chapter 5, keeping with the chronology of the New Testament, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount is recorded. So as we enter into the New Testament and the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, we see these events that began the, the earthly ministry of the life of Jesus. This chronology represents that all of these events uh, took place at a very real and specific time uh, in history. Now, tucked between uh, the, the wilderness temptation of Christ and the Sermon on the Mount uh, is this little piece of, of the narrative of Jesus' life that we know as the calling of the first disciples. And we, we pick up in that narrative where Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and he, he sees James and John, and he gives them this directive, follow me. I don't know that you'll find any rougher individuals in Jesus' 12 disciples than these first who are called, these four fishermen. And they give us a great opportunity to look realistically at a life that was so unsuspecting and a life you and I would never choose 
as someone who's following Jesus. And we're, we're able to see the power in the invitation and then how a simple heart was moved to abandon everything to follow our Lord. And this is a great time to, to find our place in this story. But, but as we look at the story, we notice the time, the chronology. This was a real event, the calling of the disciples. But second to the time, uh, the temporal, this actual chronology of events, let's look at the location, the geography. When we read of the calling of the disciples, uh, there is a verse that, that we do not need to miss. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, we read that Jesus was going about preaching, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. That's Matthew 4, verse 17. This uh, circuitous uh, itinerary of Jesus preaching carried him by the Sea of Galilee, uh, the, uh, the, the Lake of Tiberias, uh, Gesineret. These are different names that specify that there was a real location wherein the story of the calling of the disciples, uh, particularly the, the first four disciples, took place. This is a real location, and Jesus is walking by the, the shore of of the Sea of Galilee, this large lake, which uh, geographically was was placed some 600 feet uh, below sea level, uh, uh, an amazing uh, tapestry of of hills and and mountains surrounded this uh, beautiful lake on on three sides. Uh, most measurements would have uh, the geography of this lake to be some 13 miles. Uh, from north to south and uh, some eight miles uh, east to west. And on the shoreline of this lake, uh, most uh, history uh, expresses a number of small hamlets or villages. Uh, some history indicates that there were as many as nine small towns and villages. And so this lake was an incredible location of a fishing enterprise. And was there ever a fishing enterprise here? This location was also a location where fishermen, many fishermen could be seen at any time uh, preparing their nets, uh, preparing their vessels to, to move out into the water, to, to, to have this industry fully alive and well in such a very fertile region as, as this lake. And so we have a, a real time in history and we also have a, a real location. So as, as any clear narrative is told, there's a time, there's a location, but there's also that, that a narrative element that we know as the as the uh, social element or the relationship. So you have the temporal, the time, the location, which is the spatial. But now you have the the uh, the social aspect of the story, the the relationships. And as Jesus is preaching through this region, he comes uh, alongside the lake and he sees uh, these unsuspected fishermen and he he calls them. Now here is where we need to focus on the lives of these individuals. Remember that some time has passed. Uh, minimal, uh, a few months, maybe longer, have passed since Jesus' baptism and the calling of these disciples. He has been preaching and teaching. News of Jesus is beginning to emerge and to, and to spread. And, and he calls his disciples uh, to follow him. He calls these fishermen who, who have some understanding of Jesus at the time of calling, and, and when they hear the call, they they immediately leave all things and they follow him. I, I love a quote that's given to us by pastor and author Kerry Newolf. And listen to these words. 
The way many leaders approach maturity is to assume that knowledge produces maturity. And then he asks the question, since when is that true? Knowledge does not produce maturity. Some of the most biblically literate people in Jesus' day got bypassed as disciples. The goal is not to know, but to do something with what you know. Well, this is what we see in the lives of these four individuals. They may not know as much about Jesus as as others in the area knew, but what they knew, they resolved. I must follow him. So they they abandoned all things and they and they followed him. Uh, may I encourage you today? The the goal is not for you to know more than than the person beside you. Certainly, growing in your knowledge and and understanding and growing in the grace of Jesus is vital. But we must prioritize responding to what we know, or else knowledge, as the scripture says, puffs up. And so may we understand who Jesus is and begin immediately responding to who we know he is. Some uh, fall into the, to the false way of thinking. I will, I will commit my life to Jesus when I better understand him and his word. If you uh, practice that line of thinking, you'll never surrender to his leadership as he desires. So what you know of Jesus, even if it seems to be an, an elementary piece of, 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 of who he is, that's enough to respond to him. And we see this in the disciples. They responded and, and oh, what an incredible story we have before. So, so you see a picture of the story, I pray. You see the, you see the specific time, the specific location, and the specific relationships of this developing narrative of the life and ministry of Jesus. And those relationships is where we now focus as we move to the second point of teaching, our place in the story. We've focused on the story. Now let's move to our place in the story. And I'd like to focus with you on the call, the life change, and what that indicates for the follower today. As we look at our place in the story, and as we stay focused on Matthew 4.19, let's consider the call, the life change, and then uh, what both of those facts mean for the follower today. Let's begin with the call. So who was called? Well, James, John, Peter, and Andrew. They were called. Uh, These individuals represent uh, significant church leaders as as the Holy Spirit moved uh, in those days after the resurrection of Christ. And and particularly you see throughout the scripture, uh, Peter, James, and John significantly leading the church in their, in their apostolic roles. Uh, you recognize in Acts chapter 12 that, that James was actually martyred. Um, you, you'll read, you'll read that, that, that Peter went through so much hardship and, and both he and John were eventually martyred. Uh, Peter preached uh, those powerful messages and, and we hear of that message. Uh, one of the, one of the final appearances of Jesus and uh, of Peter in the New Testament is at the house of Cornelius. And we, we see these ministries that powerfully developed. We, we read of the writings of, of the apostle John and, and his writings represent some of the, the last 
writings of the scripture to be recorded. And we look at these stalwart men of faith who, who relentlessly uh, clung to their commitment to Christ, even at the cost of their own life. And they had their beginning by the Sea of Galilee, not knowing much of Jesus, but knowing just enough to say, we will drop everything to follow him. And so the calling is first seen in who is called. These simple men, these diamonds in the rough, as one writer termed it, these uncut jewels of the Christian faith were, 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 they were, they were rough at first appearance. If you simply read history of Galilean fishermen in the first century, even if the history is biblical, you will understand that these fishermen lived a, a rough, Life And so I, I tell you, God reached in through the words of Jesus and he called these men who would be the least expected. And I'll tell you, you nor I should devalue this truth for our own lives because Jesus calls those whom he will and, and he called these disciples. So as we first look at the call, we, we ask the question, who was called? Uh, these these disciples who, who certainly were uh, at, at their conception of following Jesus were very rough and, and seemed to the human eye and to the human logic unlikely to amount to much. But, oh, they became such powerful figures. The, 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 the fatherhead of, of the first century church, as, as many would term them, because of their, their leadership and, and their guidance. So uh, that, that represents who was called. Now, here's another question concerning the call. To, to what were they called? And I like to emphasize two phases here. Well, they were called to believe in Jesus, but secondly, they were called to abandon all things for him. Uh, they were called to believe in Jesus. I, I love revisiting the other gospels as they demonstrate how the disciples began their life of following. And, and certainly in, in, in the gospel of John chapter two, we read of the wedding of Canaan. And after they saw the miracle Jesus did at that wedding, turning water into wine, uh, the disciples that were present, they believed in him. There's another significant passage. Um, Luke chapter five, verse one through 11 describes this vision of Jesus calling his disciples and they're fishing on one side of the boat and, and to no avail. And Jesus said, cast your nets on the other side and and they did and the nets were breaking because of so much fish and and it was then that that peter kneeled and said to jesus go away from me uh master for i'm a sinful man and and there was a realization of of who jesus is so so the disciples were called in what i would like to term this first phase of truly believing in jesus and they continued to grow in that belief as as they continued to follow Christ. But their second calling was to abandon all things for him. They, they left their nets and they, they followed him. They entrusted their lives to him. And, uh, oh, what an incredible picture we, we have. I, you know, I love, I love this third question. Why were they called? Who was called? Well, we, we read this, uh, these disciples, these, these first fishermen, uh, uh to, to, uh, or, or the next question is, uh, to what were they called? To believe and then to abandon everything for Christ. But why were they called? And I love the answer to this question. People. Jesus said, I will make you fish for people. The heart of the mission of Christ is indeed people. And the practical picture of following Jesus represents that he changes the lives of real people. So in turn, we can then go out and be an encouragement and an influence and a witness to other 
real people. Nobel Prize, Peace Prize laureate, a Congolese doctor, Dennis McQuiggie, made this comment. As long as our faith is defined by theory and not connected with practical realities, we shall not be able to fulfill the mission entrusted to us by Christ. If we are Christ, we have no choice but to be alongside the weak and the wounded and the refugees and those suffering. And so why were the disciples called? Or actually, why were they called? They were called because of the heart of Jesus for them and for all people. And I love uh, Dr. McQuiggy's quote, uh, unless we see this practicalness of our calling to follow Jesus, uh, our, our faith will only be theory and, and not real. So we, we certainly follow Jesus as we desire to, to, be, to be changed by him and to be, to be used by him to, to encourage others. So that's the call. Who was called? To what were they called and, and why were they called? Now let's look at the life change. And we're about to, to close, but notice this. Uh, the life change in the disciples uh, that were first fishermen, move them from the the preoccupation with their occupation to abandonment toward that which Christ would lead them. Their abandonment was, was towards something that was not yet defined. So their abandonment from what they knew well was based upon the identity of Jesus, not a, upon a secure picture of the future, nor even upon what would happen to their own lives. They were in their occupation and, and they were called. Look at two specific uh, expressions of this life change. There was immediacy in their response and then there was longevity in their response. The immediacy was they dropped their nets. They transitioned from being preoccupied with, with their present status to follow Jesus. They, they turned loose of what they knew best to follow in a direction that they did not know anything about, but to follow the one that they knew was sent from God. And so their immediate response, the life change was, we must follow him. And they immediately dropped their nets. But then there was also a response of longevity, where over a period of time, they grew to allow the truths of Christ and Jesus himself to reorder their lives completely. I don't think the disciples were not desirous at times to return back to fishing. Even after the resurrection, although they had not seen Jesus, they, they went back fishing. But oh, they, they were on this perpetual journey of Jesus reordering their lives for his purpose and his plan. And we see the end of the story. God used them mightily. And the church is alive and well today in part because God used men like these rugged fishermen who would have only been rugged fishermen had they not been called and responded. But oh, they responded immediately and they responded with longevity. They allowed Jesus to reorder their lives. I love how Tim Keller summarizes this. There are no conditions anymore. If Jesus really is God, then he can't just be a supplement. We have to come to him and say, okay, Lord, I'm willing to let you start a complete reordering of my life. So we've seen the call, the life change, and now we close with what those two facts mean for the follower today. For you and I to rethink our lives as a follower of Jesus. We need to take our cue from this story in Matthew 4, 19. 
when Jesus said, follow me. Do you know Jesus did not call the religious leaders of that day? He called, he called a group of men. He, he called women from this obscure place. He called people who were from a, a mixed population in Galilee. And they responded, men and women alike. And they followed him. I'd like to, uh, in closing, give you three facts of the follower today. Fact number one, Jesus calls the individual. I do not follow Jesus because he called my parents or he called my pastor or it's just what my small group does. I follow Jesus because he's asking me to follow him. I love Romans eight twenty eight. All things work out for the good of those who love Jesus and are called according to his purpose. He, he calls you as an individual. That's fact number one of the follower of Christ today. I love First Peter two twenty one. To this you were called that Christ suffered and has left you an example to follow in his steps. Uh, his calling to follow is, is to you personally. There's a second fact. Jesus called you for life. Jesus called you for life. He did not simply call you for the moment, but for Life. I love Second Timothy one nine, uh, that teaches us this. He he has saved us, and he has called us to a holy life, a life that is set apart. He's not called us to negotiate when when times can grow uncomfortable. He's not called us to sit and be passive and cheer on those that in our minds are uh, are more committed. He's called us to follow him, and he's called us for life. He's called us into a lifestyle of following him. Fact number three, there will always be constant adjustments. He's called you personally. He's called you for life. And there will always be constant adjustments. Now, I love 1 Corinthians 10.31. That says, whatever you do, whether it be to eat or drink, do all for his glory. You know, in every aspect of our lives, our priority is what brings glory to Jesus Christ, that is the question of the follower, which allows that question to bring an adjustment to every part of our lives constantly. You know, we do not clock out Sunday afternoon and say, okay, I should no longer consider myself a follower. It's 24-7, it's 365. We follow him because of who he is and, and he's called us to follow him and, and he calls us as an individual, he calls us for life and he always calls us to make adjustments as his followers. And, and when Paul wrote many years ago, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. He was writing in the context of a debacle in the early church where there were those that were not sure they should eat meat that had been offered to idols in other temples prior to the meat being uh, made for sale in the marketplace. And this debacle continued. In, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through chapter 10, Paul deals with this issue. But the bottom line of the issue was whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Let your measure be, am I honoring Christ? Am I, am I making him known through what I say and what I do as his follower? I want to close with this story. Uh, the man by the name of, of Jim Dennison from, from Dallas, Texas, he's a pastor there, and, and he tells a story of an East Malaysian girl when, when Dennison was actually a missionary in Malaysia. And the story is told of her baptism. 
And uh, Dennison himself was invited to a baptism. And as he uh, walked into this uh, old uh, warehouse in eastern Malaysia, and she was being baptized in an actual bathtub, he noticed there was such a radiance in her life when she came out of the waters. But he also noticed against the wall that there was uh, an old, old, rugged uh, suitcase that he could tell by the looks was really packed. So after the service, he went to the pastor and he uh, inquired about the young lady. Then he inquired about the suitcase. And his question was, uh, what's the suitcase doing there? It looks really out of place. And the pastor pointed to the uh, young Malaysian girl who had just been baptized. And he said, that's her suitcase. Her dad told her that if she ever committed her life to Jesus, she is to leave home and to never return. So she packed her bags and came to her baptism. You know, that's, that's the resolve of following Jesus. You know, there are cultures around the world where when you were baptized, it is, it is not a meaning of salvation, but it is a meaning of being completely sold out to the name of the one under whom you were baptized. And this young Malaysian girl, uh, we'll meet her in heaven one day. She, she could not but follow Jesus and packed her bags. And, and I want to leave you with this question. What have you not packed up? What have you not left behind that would indicate your heart is completely resolved to follow Jesus? I pray that you resolve above all things, even if it means packing your bags and, and leaving a place you would call dear. I pray above all things you will follow Jesus. It is worth every step, every drop of sweat, every tear. It is more than worth that because there's no greater joy than following Christ our Lord. I'd love to pray with you. Father, thank you for teaching us through this very simple story. Thank you that we have now found our place in the story. And as we continue to discover the true meaning of following you, God, our hearts and our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. I know for many of you, you, you may say, yes, I'll, I'll, I want to follow Jesus more, more passionately. But there may be someone who would say, Pastor Ken, I've never really recognized Jesus as Lord of my life. I've never really repented of my sins and confessed him as Lord. And, and I want to encourage you to do that now. Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth, he's Lord, and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. You know, you can pray a prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I repent of my sins, and I, and I recognize you as Lord, and I follow you. And oh, if you pray that, Scripture says, he'll hear your prayer. He'll change you, and he will receive you. And oh, there's no greater step than to trust Jesus and to say, Jesus, I know who you are. I'm ready to follow you. There's a texting number on the screen and a website location. We'd be glad to meet you there. So please respond if, if this is a decision you've made to place your faith in Jesus. Or even as a follower of Christ, if you're struggling, you need that extra measure of encouragement. We, we are here for you. Thank you so much for being a part of this service today. We love you a lot. And thank you for your commitment to the things of Jesus. Remember, follow him. It's more than a word. It's more than an idea. It's lifestyle. Let's follow him for life. God bless you. Hang around for some important announcements.